Hey guys, welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. Before we get started, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey, have you guys heard about the new Parker Sporlin S3C case controller? Contractors, how about a case controller with a one-day setup, access to more data, and efficient system operation for the end user? The S3C series of case controllers provides contractors and store owners automated configuration and network integration. You can maintain a precise food temperatures without supervisory control. Easily monitors to prevent product loss, and Bluetooth provides a local connection with the TechCheck mobile app. The series includes case controller display module, a valve supporting open protocol, communication via BACnet and Modbus, Sporlin's mobile app, the TechCheck, allows communication with the S3C case controller to enable proof-of-work, diagnostic, and data sharing. The S3C communicates with building automation systems and works with Sporlin's SPW series of pulse width modulation valves, also the SSR series of electronic expansion valves. Visit Sporlin.com for more information. Anecdotal evidence suggests that in a game of rock, paper, scissors, players familiar with each other will tie 75 to 80% of the time due to the limited number of outcomes. I suggest rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. <laughs> what? It's very simple. Look, scissors cuts paper. Paper covers rock. Rock crushes lizard. Lizard poisons Spock. Spock smashes scissors. Scissors decapitates lizard. Lizard eats paper. Paper disproves Spock. Spock vaporizes rock. And as it always has, rock crushes scissors. Welcome, everybody, and welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're here with your hosts, Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. What do you got going on this week, Kev? You sound a little rough. Oh, I'm doing a gas changeover right now, so uh, I've been breathing in fumes and, uh, you know, torching for like, you know, 13 hours a day. So, yeah, I'm a little rough right now. My voice sounds like crap from breathing in all that R22 that was burning off. Oh, the Rack Star 22. Yep. Dirty, dirty, dirty boil. <laughs> I think I think we've put like 28 gallons of POE into one rack and it's still like brown. Really? Yep. We just put in filtered oil separators today, so I'm sure we'll blow at least like three filters for the weekend wonderful yeah uh, i mean this is this, this is probably one of the dirtiest racks i've ever seen i'm doing paperwork yeah <laughs> uh, i wouldn't trade you yeah well it's just this week um uh we have plans of me going with uh some of the construction crews and and figuring out some things and that's what i got planned probably next week i don't know where i'm going but other than that it's i got a boring week this week sounds good so guys let's uh get this started and we're gonna continue on with uh part three of the like 
the tuning racks uh, portion of the podcast. And we're going to start more now in the store and building issues. Um, we're going to start with the case first. So we're going to go through, you know, balancing cases, setting super eats up, balancing EPRs, and uh, that stuff first. And then we'll go more into the HVAC building side of it and, you know, explain how it all, all comes together. So when it comes to tuna cases, now you save a ton of energy at the cases. Uh, just they say just simply going through a store, cleaning strainers, cutting out plug dryers, and setting superheat properly can save up anywhere up to ten percent in energy savings, depending on how bad the store is. I mean, there's tons of stores where the superheats were never set up properly from day one, or they're set too high. You know, somebody goes in there and sets the Super eats way higher than they need to be, and coils are starving. You know, you're not using that whole coil. And especially when you get with these new high efficiency cases that Hill and Hussman have, you've got to flood those coils or else the case isn't going to work properly. So um, you're going to want to set that super eat to whatever that manufacturer says. But if they don't, I generally use three to six degrees for low temp and six to eight for medium temp. I tend to run them a little bit lower because I'm trying to squeeze a little bit more out of that case. The lower you get that superheat, the lower it's going to bring that TD down on that coil, and the more efficient that case is going to become and that coil is going to become. That, that you want that coil almost all the way flooded using as much as it is you can to – absorb heat before you get that phase change. And that that's where you're going to save your energy because once you get that super lower, you can now put your suction pressure higher and you can close off that EPR a little more. You can, you know, raise that rack pressure up a little bit more and that's where you're going to save your energy. If you're just floating your head and you're not, or you're floating your suction and not going through and resetting your cases, you're doing yourself and everybody else a disservice because you're never going to get that energy savings out of there because somebody's going to go in there and take it back out because they're going to say it's causing issues with the case. So you're going to want to go through and set your superheats. And a big thing is don't set your superheats until you know the drag dryers are good and clean and you have good flow, the subcooler is working, and you have adequate liquid, adequate liquid pressure and you know the strainers are cleaning the case i mean it doesn't take very long to go through and clean the case out and you know pump it down and clean your strainers i usually try to set you know a lineup while i'm cleaning strainers in another lineup that i'm going to do next so i'll pump one case down and i'll be setting the other cases and then i'll clean the strainers in that and i'll flip flop and i'll go on to the next one so that way I'm constantly setting superheats in the store and, uh, you know, cleaning them. It doesn't take very long once you get a, a groove going. Uh, big thing makes it a thousand times easier, smart probes. Uh, Sporlin makes the, the smart pro R sensors. Those things are great. They 
make setting super eats a million times easier because you could do multiple super eats off one transistor. Uh, Measure Quick also does it with every other brand. And the Sporlins also, they all they all uh, integrate to Measure Quick and you could do it on their app also. They kind of you know mirrored Sporlins app a little bit. So everything's in there. You know, setting super eats, you know, all at once with multiple temp sensors is a million times easier. I mean, I could do six, seven cases at the same time. You know, and I could balance my cases out that way. Yep. You, right. You, you go over balance it. Go ahead. Are you saying on the same lineup? Like you're you're doing seven like seven cases on one lineup or we're two where you're doing two different two different systems at a time and multiple sensors. So I could do both. I could do up to twelve or no fourteen cases. I, I have enough. I have enough sensors in my truck to do fourteen cases in, in three lineups, probably. You know, but I, I do. I do primarily startups. So I mean, I have a ton of them, and you know, that's that's what I'm doing day to day and day to day out. So I mean, I have a, I have a ton of them. To get, I mean, obviously the. The average service tech probably doesn't need more than three or four temp sensors. I mean, unless he's working on a husband case with three coils for you know every twelve foot, that's where that's where it gets tricky. Yeah. So uh, starting to balance the case, you want to make sure that you know a lot of people think that they can uh, set all the superheats with the um, with the cases empty, and that's not the way it works. Um, you need to have the the cases. Um, uh, filled up a product. Um, a lot of cases they're they're not designed to be empty. Um, some people try to cheat the system. And they put bo- you know cardboard box in there, but you're still not getting the the correct flow of uh, of air around there in order to get you know the the proper amount. <clears throat> excuse me, air across the product in order to set the superheats properly. Um, you know a lot of times they try to set the superheats without any product in it. And they end up having to you know rebalance the cases. So instead of doing that. You know, just do it once, do it while while the you know case actually has product in it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, while while it, while the store is open, yeah, but uh, during startup, it's not possible. So what so, do you what do you do in that case? So like low temp glass doors is never an issue because uh, it, it they're a closed case. But generally, what I do when I balance cases is I set them with nothing in them. I I understand the airflow is going to be kind of jacked up. I generally tend to aim them a little lower because once they get product in them, the lo- the load gets a little higher. So I'll generally aim my super heat set point a little bit lower. And if I need to go back and balance a case, you know, or two, just you know, open it a quarter turn here or there. Like that's what I do. Gotcha. Um, you have to verify also that, you, like I said before, you don't want any more than two about two pounds of pressure drop between your cases and your and your uh, rack. Uh, normally, when you find this, you know it's usually because of a piping issue or maybe the CDS valve isn't isn't sized properly. Not necessarily because of the pipe size, but maybe because of the port size inside. Um, all CDS valves, you know, just like liquid line solenoids and and, EP, and regular mechanical EPRs have a port size. And if that port size is too small, you are going to, in fact, have a pressure drop across that valve. 
So you want to make sure that, that that's correct as well, because you know your float's not going to work right, especially if it's um, if you have a CDS valve on there. You know, yes, the CDS valve isn't being used during float times. Um, you know, it's 100% open, but you're not. If you have an extreme pressure drop across it, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, get that suction pressure as high as what you typically would be able to. Like I said, I agree with, you know, what you said before about the superheats. We want to have them around uh, three, to, uh, 3 to 5, 3 to 6 for low temp, uh, 6 to 8 for medium temp. And, you know, we want to make sure that we have enough uh, flow of refrigerant across everything to make sure we're getting proper heat exchange. If we don't do that, you're going to find that you're going to have a lot of ice ups in the future of that case, you know, because you're only utilizing, let's just say, three quarters of that coil. And those fins on those Hussman and Kaiser Warren case and Hill Phoenix cases are extremely, um, you know, tight. So if you don't have proper refrigerant flow, you're only utilizing, like I said, three quarters, half in, uh, half of the coil, and you're going to cause that case to ice up prematurely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, one thing I want to do is like actually balancing cases. I know this is like a huge, you know, th this becomes like monotonous with services. It's balancing cases. I know like, you know, you service the same customers as we do, you know, they want their cases, you know, within a degree or two. So especially when it comes to like CDS valves and other things, well, I'm going to go over how I balance cases and then, we can go over how you balance cases. There's more than one way to do it. Uh, they both work. So if I'm working on a CDS valve store, I generally try to balance those cases. And I try to get that CDS valve as close to manufacturer coil spec as I can, just by overriding it or... <clears throat> whatever the customer, say if the customer wants to see the valves at 20% or 30%, I'll override it to that with the suction at what it's supposed to be per, per the rack legend. And I'll set my superheats there because that's where they want to see them. <clears throat> but generally I try to set that CDS valve at the manufacturer SST. That way I could, you know, set the case up properly. I mean, you may have to shut a compressor off or two to kind of keep your suction steady. And then I'll go through and I'll set my superheats. You know, I'll get them as close as I can, you know, within like a degree of each other. And then I'll let it run for a little bit, maybe 20 minutes, half hour. I'll go check the case sensors. And if I got to tweak a, you know, eighth to a quarter turn up and down on this valve or this valve, to try to balance them out, that's what I'll do. That's with CDS valves. If it's a standard EPR, I set it up to manufacturer spec, and then I'll dial into superheat from there. And I'll, you know, I'll get them all balanced out, and then I'll tweak them a quarter turn here or there, you know, to balance them out. Um, if it's a Danfoss system, just be aware, like those temp sensors need to be verified because if you're using thousand ohm sensors, you could be reading, you know, two to three degrees off just just with wire length. So you need to calibrate those Danfoss sensors. If it's Emerson, CPC, microthermal, uh, RDM, anybody that's using 10,000 ohm sensors, it's not as big of a, so I don't see as very many fluctuations with that. 
What are your thoughts, Brad? I'm going to agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Um, You know, if you, especially like with uh, stuff that has a a higher TD, like meat boxes and stuff, you know, they're designed with either a 15 or a 20 degree TD. So if you try to just let it, you know, let it run off of rack pressure, it wasn't designed for that. So basically the expansion valve isn't, you know, might be missized for actually what you're trying to do. Uh, Example, I had a, a, we were doing a startup down in Austin and we were trying to, uh, get the superheats down in all these cases. Um, they were having a hard time doing it. And we, you know, we went down there and, and the, I had looked at the refrigeration schedule and saw it had um, the 20 degree TD. And basically it was running all the way down to rack pressure. It was given it like a 40 degree TD or 45 degree TD. Basically the space temperature was really high because it was a meat prep. And I, I had the kid inside and I, and I said, you know, hey, just watch it for a little bit. I'm going to adjust the EPR. I need you to tell me, um, you know, how, you know, what basically what the pressure is. According, you know, we were trying to get get the SST right where it needs to be. And, you know, at that point we had about 20, 25 degrees of, of superheat. As soon as I got the suction pressure right where it needed to be, the superheat started dropping. And you couldn't hear the excitement in the guy's voice. He's like, Oh my God, it's dropping. It's dropping. We don't have to, you know, cause he was all concerned. We were going to have to start changing out valves, you know? Yeah. That especially with those, uh, husband, non-adjustable valves, which those things should all be changed out because it's the worst idea ever. Um, if your suction pressure is like not dead on that valve or overfeed or underfeed because, uh, they're using the suction pressure as a closing force in the valve, like like you normally would, but it's a preset spring. So that spring is set to that tension at that actual suction pressure. So if it's off, it's going to cause you to underfeed or overfeed. So that's one thing to watch out in those non-adjustables. Have you had a problem with the with the SPQEs, like the cartridges actually blowing off the top occasionally? Like the, where the gasket blowing off? No, where basically like the you know you have the disc at the top that holds the pin in at the top, right? And mm-hmm. it looks like there's like I don't know, probably eight little spines that basically you know hold holding at the top, like it was pressed in the top to hold that that cylindrical disc in to hold the piston. Have you ever had a problem with them blowing out? No. I've seen one shoot out when you pull the power head off. <laughs> no. But that's what happened with that valve today. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen pictures yet, but no, I'm I'm waiting. Yeah, that's uh that's interesting. So and then as we're talking about like tuning cases, obviously checking airflow, cleaning honeycombs, that's a huge thing. It, it gets overlooked. I mean, especially the produce ones. Cleaning honeycombs and keeping that air infiltration out is a huge energy savings. You know, you don't want that warm air getting in the case. You know, you want to keep that warm air out. So you want to make sure all the honeycombs are clean. Cheap, easy job for an apprentice. Same thing with uh, some of the older Hill Phoenix cases. They they have. Uh... Uh, up in the main part of the case, up in I guess you would call it the top hood, where you know basically the air goes from the uh, from the back wall up to the top. Uh, the flue, the flue plenum. Uh, basically, sometimes there's a metal uh, metal piece in there that has a whole bunch of holes in it, um, or sometimes in the back wall on like the 05 DM, 
Um, a lot of times that, that gets filled up with, you know, cardboard dust or you know, produce junk or whatever, you know, basically needs to be clean. Same, same, same concept as the honeycombs, but you know, a lot of that gets overlooked unless you call the manufacturer and ask them if there's any flu, you know, flu plenums in the back that are actually going to affect anything. I've actually been seeing a lot of new newer hill uh, multi decks. Uh, last startup I did, half of them had fans on the top. You're going back to that. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, I want to take a break and talk about Westermeyer, one of our other sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries, the leader in oil management and pressure vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry. Are they slowing yeah. down the fans even more? <laughs> I swear those new hill cases almost have like no airflow. Like you could blow, you know, just just whistle harder than uh, those things blow air. So a lot. Let's say years ago, back in like the late '80s and stuff, uh, with the open air cases they had, you know. They were about 15 degree TD, and that's because the fin spacing was real far. It's probably like an inch and a half inch between the, the the fins, and then they they reduced the amount of spacing between the fins. They went down to about a 10 degree TD, and then we got like the NRG cases or the high performance cases from Tyler. Um, you know, where only have they only had like a, a four degree TD, and now Hill Phoenix and Husman and all the other contractors are basically trying to get as much efficiency out of the coil so they can sell them as the best, you know, energy efficiency case and basically slow down the fan to a, a snail fart where basically there's not much air coming out of there at all. And so it doesn't take that much, you know, that much air from a rooftop unit or a front da- front door opening up, letting infiltration come in the actual door. Yeah, and then another thing I've been seeing a lot lately has been ambient fans on the top of uh, the D-strap fans, you know, blowing in cases. And, you know, if you're working on a case and it's running warm and, you know, that take a look around to see if you got a D-strap fan blowing in something. I mean, you don't want to disable them, but I generally move them, point them somewhere else. Uh, same thing with ceiling fans. So you want to, you want to just you know pay attention to all that as you're going through all these cases and you know make sure that everything's clean and you know operating properly. That's all part of this like commissioning and uh, get this stuff to run more efficiency. You know you want to make sure it's clean. Being clean is like the easiest thing in a huge energy saving. So you also have to remember a lot of these cases they'll have written on their type two case. Um, made for type two ambient. And that basically means uh, anything 55 degree, 55% relative humidity and less than uh, 75 degrees Fahrenheit. If you start falling out of any of the, one of those parameters, uh, the case efficiency is probably going to eat shit. It's, it's it, it going to either end up icing up or just not being able to maintain temperature. And like Kevin just said, some of the newer cases that are now coming out, they're putting ambient fans back up in the, uh, back up in the canopy and basically that's you know they they're what they're trying to basically do is is have two different airstreams one is a ambient airstream they're putting ambient air across with the with the other one instead of you know just having the ambient air be able to infiltrate and if they if you have a you know moisture latent air because of that because of high humidity in the in the facility um that's going to translate to more iced up cases um, you want to hear an older technician curse just mentioned the um, the Trader Joe's multi deck frozen food 
three fan plenum cases and oh, see how many curse words yeah. come, out of, come out of his mouth. We, we had, when I worked for my brother's shop, we had Whole Foods and Whole Foods had uh, an eight footer in every meat department. Oh my God, just talk about the worst. These were husband cases, the worst cases ever. Absolute energy hogs. They're not even technically allowed to make them anymore because the UL from the government said that, you know, they're not, they're, they're way past the energy rating that they're allowed to actually put out. Really? Yeah. Oh God, those things sucked. I'll never forget when I, I, I spent two days on one of those trying to, you know, fix it because it kept icing up, kept icing up and it had these damn reversing fans in it. that somebody changed to standard fans in the air in the secondary air plenum. Yeah. Or the or the one of three drains plugging. Yeah. So the cases like <laughs> the history of those cases, they like they had everything had to be perfect with it. And all it took was someone putting the wrong size fan, or if it was a reversing fan that you know, because basically reversing fans uh switch with a relay and uh, a run cap. You know, that's how they basically run, run the opposite direction. But if someone would end up putting in, you know, a regular standard fan, it wouldn't, it wouldn't actually go into reversing. And like I said, all it took was just someone putting the wrong size fan, whether they went from a nine watt to a four watt or whatever, and it just ruined airflow. And if the termination wasn't perfect on every single coil, forget it. The thing's going to end up icing up. Yeah. I I absolutely hate those cases. <laughs> they, they, terrible idea. But that, that's how everything used to be back in the day. Everything was open, uh, frozen. Yeah. Um, so let's, you know, now that we've kind of gone into the, the case stuff, let's start bringing in the HVAC and the, the uh, building envelope to it. So like Brett was saying, that, that type 2 environment. So the one thing you guys got to really pay attention to is dew point. You want to keep that dew point as low as you can for several reasons, because you don't want stuff sweating. You don't want water on the floor. You don't want insulation sweating. You don't want frost buildup on coils. And when the dew point is lower, the cases are more efficient. <clears throat> so when your dew point is lower, you and your, your relative humidity and your dew point is lower, you end up using less of that case coil to dehumidify and more of it to refrigerate. That's why, like, if you see stores, I see guys mess this up all the time. They go to a store, uh, high efficiency meat cases are running warm. They're struggling. Uh, humidity is like, 60, 70 percent in a building, real humid. Customer doesn't have dehumidification. Well, guess what? They say that valve's starving. It's wide open. It's bad. The, the, the valve's bad in the case. It won't feed. <clears throat> Superheat's high. Well, it's because the humidity load in the building is too high, and now that coil is trying to act as a dehumidifier. So it's just grabbing all that moisture and it doesn't have the capacity to grab all that moisture and then also cool the case. So it ends up dehumidifying. So keeping the building envelope 
dehumidified is super important. Now, you hope that your customer has some kind of dehumidification, whether it be motors units, DH wheels, uh, reheat, whatever they have. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to dehumidify the store. And I mean, that could be a whole other podcast in itself, but you want to make sure that dew point sensor is properly calibrated and you want to make sure that you're actually, your uh, dehumidification is working. If, I mean, 50 to 55, 55 is pretty much your max. I mean, 40 to 50, 50 is a great dew point. It's energy efficient. It's cheaper to run the air conditioning than it is to run the refrigeration. I mean, you're running a higher saturated temp, you're getting that moisture out of there, and those cases will be more efficient. I mean, then you're not going to have any slip and falls. You're going to have less case ice ups. I mean, and it's just less overall energy usage and wear and tear on the equipment. One of the easiest things you guys can find uh, with, with uh, you know, random systems icing up is making sure that the store is at a, at a positive pressure. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, if you ever walked into any grocery store, um, you'll feel that the air, you know, basically is, is blowing out at you. And that's basically to keep, you know, keep the, you know, outside air, you know, from, from just getting, you know, sucked in, in through the front doors and letting birds and bugs and dust, you know, through there, any kind of air that's going into any kind of grocery store should be conditioned and filtered, which means it should be coming in through, you know, the main DHU or the main, uh, you know, fresh air, uh, air handler, um, really real cheap tests you can do is basically do the toilet paper test just hang a piece of toilet paper out by the front door uh, have someone open up the door and basically if the toilet paper blows out great then you're at a positive pressure if the toilet paper sucking in then it's shitty then you know you have to do something about it and basically get the you know the store pressure back uh you know to the positive um you know you it doesn't matter how much air conditioning you have running you could have every single damn air conditioner running in that in that facility and it would not actually matter um, speaking, you know, you were talking about dew point for, uh, before, and I don't want to lose this thought. Um, you know, dew point is also important with saving money as far as the anti-sweats as well. Um, the way the anti-sweats typically work when, when someone does a startup, uh, they're basically trying to make sure the case fans, I'm sorry, the case, uh, uh, case heaters, uh, in the, in the moulin heaters are basically, you know, three to five degrees higher than the dew point. And that's what basically keeps the moisture from building up on the, on the inside of the doors. Um, you know, you have to make sure when you're doing this, you have to make sure that everything's calibrated, right. And you're, you're send, setting the men's and max for the most part, when you're dealing with EMS, you know, making sure that the, you know, the, uh, you know, you do actually have the right temp. Now where you're actually checking this temp at is, you know, basically taking a temperature sensor and putting it in between the door frame and the actual gasket of the door. Um, and like I said, as long as you're running anywhere from three to five degrees higher than the dew point, you shouldn't have any moisture build up on those doors whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, the anti-sweats is probably one of the easiest, like low hanging to the beginning, getting it set up and getting it put in and retrofitted in, but you're talking every lineup could be up to eight amps you're cutting off. And you think about it all winter long. I mean, you don't need, I mean, I live in, I live in Chicago. I mean, anti-sweats barely hardly run the winter time. 
I mean, if you're running those doors and putting that heat in the case, that's heat, that's heat in the case, that's unneeded heat on the doors, and you're, you don't need it. I mean, you figure eight amps a case. I mean, you're talking, you could be 30, 40, you know, 50 amps, you know, you're cutting off of a, off of a circuit load, you know, per store, you know, depending on how many glass doors you have and uh, how efficient they are. So, I mean, it could be a huge, huge energy savings, you know, just, just by a little bit of upfront cost, like anti-sweats is a huge thing. And don't bypass anti-sweat controllers. If they go bad, change them. I see this way too much. Guys bypass them because they say they don't work or they don't understand them. All you're doing is costing your customer money in the long run. You know, a lot of the newer cases, a lot of the new uh, door lineups, um, you know, they're either being controlled now by the case controller. I know the Sportland uh, S3C has its own humidity sensor. Uh, that that's integrated in with it that what can actually run the anti sweats off the case controller. Um, same thing with um, you know you'll see dairy lineups, uh, the doors on the dairy lineups where people grab and grab their fresh milk and stuff, and you'll see uh, a little black. Uh, it looks like it's a little bit bigger than the size of a domino as far as uh, thickness, and it's probably like an inch and a half, two inches wide, and I'll have a little green light on there, and basically. It's usually right in the middle of the door. Um, that controller actually controls the anti-sweats for those particular cases. Um, the controller for that happens to be in one of the door frames. Um, in order to find where it's at, you'd actually have to call Anthony. Uh, it's usually in the center one. Um, but, you know, instead of having to pull the whole damn thing apart, you know, it's just sometimes easier just calling the manufacturer, finding out where it is. Um, because there's no display on those, uh, you're going to have to basically... Um, use an interpolator to try to figure out whether whether the unit's running or not as far as, you know, what voltage you should be getting with what, what humidity. But just be mindful that those things do exist. If you don't see the, the green light on there, either the controller should the bed or, or, you know, basically it could not have any power. Or on initial startup, you know, maybe they, you know, connected it to the light circuit and then shut it off. Or, you know, store, store members come in in the middle in the morning and they got a big pile of moisture you know, in front of the case, and then it disappears throughout the day. And it's typically because they'll end up hooking stuff up to lights. And that's one of the things you got to check with startup. You know, you're going to find some weird stuff. You're going to, you know, find that the you know cases are turning off in the middle of the night. Um, you know, it's your job. You know, your job to figure it out. You know, I, I was teaching a level five class uh, the one year, and they were you know curious about startup, and they were asking you, know, what's it about? And I'm like, it's your fault. I'm like, what do you mean it's your fault? I said, it doesn't matter if it's an engineering problem, if the case isn't working, if it's whatever, it's your fault. It's your, it's your problem to figure out. Yeah, yeah, everything's your fault. Why is it broken? Why did they engineer it wrong? When is it going to get fixed? But, you know, back to what you were saying about the Anthony anti-sweats. So every new Hill Phoenix glass door has its own standalone uh, anti-sweat controller. And Every Hussman now has its own standalone anti-sweat controller. Every RL door that I've started up in like the last year and a half is had a standalone controller. And if we're using, because we we ran into this problem a couple months ago, we we did a bunch by us. We did like thirty store glass changeouts. They change all, and then half the stores had a standalone anti-sweat controller. And or I'm sorry, a uh, 
one integrated the EMS. So we had to go through when the electricians are wiring the case, I had to go through and jump out every single anti-swill controller. You know, so that's one thing that, you know, pay attention to if you're swapping glass doors, you know, you're going to have to jump those out if you have, you know, a standalone controller or a, uh, a EMS controller. If you don't let them run, they're let them run a standalone. They work. That little dew point sensor goes bad. Uh, really sucks ass having to rip frames apart, you know, especially the Anthony ones. Like I can't ever get them back together. I, I don't know what it is. Like I refuse to take them apart because I can't get it back together half the time. <laughs> yeah. That's like two of the problems I have uh, putting case case frames back together and, and uh, miter sawing insulation, two things that I'm just horrible at. Oh, I tried that the other day and it, it did not go well. It looks it looks like a little kid finger paint is what it looks like. Yeah, that's where we just hire an insulator. <laughs> but no, uh, you know that uh, Hill Phoenix now owns Anthony, right? Yeah. <laughs> like everything else. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just I mean, j- just finding those the other day, I I had to tear a three door apart and. They said it was in the middle middle frame. It wasn't. It was in the top. It was in the top of the first door. So I had half the frame apart, and I was pissed. Because once you bend those little metal uh, slats, they don't want to go back in. No, not at all. You have to be real ginger with them. And, I, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the impact. I'll get it right back in. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've also never changed heaters, so I attempt one time and I've never done it again. So I, I, I'm actually in the same boat. I don't think I've ever changed out. No, I lie. I've I've, I've helped on one set, and then I bought a um, um, screen a, roller. Yeah, a screen door roller in order to get it back in. I've, that was the only time I ever used it in. And just, just so you guys know. Because I ran into this the other day. If you have an Anthony frame and your heaters aren't working, you do not have six bad heaters. You need to figure out what heater's bad or if the neutral's open or if it has power. I just had a kid do this the other day, wrote up six heaters. I was helping out with service. They gave me six heaters, and I went, look at the call, and I went, no, there's no way there's six bad heaters. It ended up being a loose neutral, but... That's why you need to check that stuff, you know, and, and door frame heaters, there's multiple heaters per door. So, you know, there's a there's heaters that go around the top perimeter, bottom perimeter, up the sides. Hussman is all one piece. You know, they use a one piece uh, heater. So that one, if it's not working at all, it's the heater, as long as you don't have voltage. And it's not just... You do have voltage, I'm sorry. That's right. It's not just the uh, the new new ones that have those controllers. <laughs> Um, you know, I was working on a, uh, anti sweat bunch that, that basically had, um, uh, what, what you call it? Um, where basically all five doors were, were sweating and I was checking the, the, the signal, uh, the signal cause they have pulsing, pulsing contactors going back, uh, instead of having the PMAC panel, um, they basically have, you know, just pulsing, uh, pulsing, uh, solid state contactors that are in the back and, 
you know, this whole five door section was sweating. And basically what it was is, is that they actually put a controller in there. And these cases are probably 15 years old. They had, they use the old Emerson, uh, Emerson gray controller that goes in the, you know, that goes in the, in the frame. And that Emerson controller finally went bad. And then even though they've been pulsing it for years, which is wrong, they should have, you know, like you said, cut them out. Uh, they didn't. So when the controller finally went out, it, it acted like you had a, either a bad neutral or, a, you know, a bad limit inside the, the door frame heaters and basically caused that thing to, to not work properly. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that quite often. The last two startups I did, they had... Like I said, they had case controllers there. They had the controllers in the cases and then they had Dan Foss, you know, cycling them. So it was just like half ass working here, half ass working there. Sometimes it work over here. Sometimes it work over there. Whatever, whatever was till they finally got a full pulse. <clears throat> so. All right, guys. I mean, I think, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the uh, case tuning side. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a nice night. All right, guys. Thanks. I'm coming home, baby, now. I'm coming home now right away. I'm coming home, baby, now. I'm sorry now I ever went away Every night and day I go and stay What the hell? No, 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 no!